Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, elder candidate at Redeemer Fellowship. I think it's fair to say that it's fall. It is fall. It's starting to get cooler out. I got my sweater on. I'm good. You got your Cubs hat on backwards like you're over the top. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> every once Why in is while, it backwards? Every once in a while. I don't know. I just like it like that because of my hair in the back. Yeah. My ponytail. This, I feel like I look like a woman. Well, you like that, could right? never pass for a no, woman. Let me just it, let me just assure like you, you could never pass for a woman. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, you I, would be the dude, ugliest woman no, ever. No, I would pass for a fine woman. You, no, no. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Everybody, uh, go ahead and go on social media no, no, and no, no, rate no, no, Jimmy no, no, Fowler no, no, as a woman. No, 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 no. no that's not Don't assume his gender. Just rate <laughs> him as if he were a woman. Yeah, we're back on the porch. You know, back the leaves the are changing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's feeling pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Good. It's I'm gonna, glad to be here. It's gonna get, Finally, you arrived. So keep getting. Good. <laughs> you want me to really? You want me to talk about how late you are? I want to talk about uh, how like uh, you've not been. Uh, you've look, been at, look at Joe. Been wrecking, Joe's so, wrecking Joe's so schedules. Angry. He's so annoyed. He I'm does, not annoyed he does or this angry. To people, right, Brian Malcolm? He does no. this to people disrupting schedules. And I don't. No. Twice it happens to him, and all of a no. sudden, well, we gotta have a big conversation about no. this. Oh no, no, yeah, we're gonna have that. We're gonna have to. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna have to sit you down. I'm gonna have to sit you down. And I'm gonna have office. to. I'm gonna have to talk. We're gonna have to make talk. sure we discuss this. I'm gonna sit you in the little chair. I'm gonna sit in the big chair. Well, you, well, you can't really sit in the. big chair. I can chair. sit in the big chair. No, you can't. Look yeah. at that photo of your driver's license. I know my feet don't touch the ground, but I can still sit in it. <laughs> Need a stool to get up in there. <laughs> Need a boost. If you give me a boost in that chair, then you go sit in the little chair. I'm going to give you a talking to. So, um, you know, there's there's been something that we wanted to talk about, and we finally have a chance to do it. Yeah. And the reason we wanted to talk about this subject, the decree of God, is because it came up recently in an online conversation that we were having, and it's uh, it's relevant in light of some of the things that have been said about Calvinists' inconsistency. Specifically, why would we complain— about evil men doing evil things, why would we bemoan that? Why would we cry out to God for that if we believe that God is sovereign over them and, in fact, will use those actions for his glory and, in fact, if those things even fall under what we call the decree of God? Yeah. Um, and so I, I thought we could talk about this. Jimmy and I have been you know, talking about it, and we thought, well, let's just go ahead and give you what is essentially really the, just the Reformed perspective on this. Uh, what is the decree of God? Um, how sovereign is God? It, it, is man responsible? Is God the author of sin? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, why don't we go ahead and start, uh, I mean, as as Baptist, I mean, where would you... Where would you look to? I mean, obviously, we'd always look to Scripture. I know right. that, but I'm just saying we need we we tell people we do this from a Reformed Baptist perspective. Right. So why don't we talk about the Baptist perspective? Okay. And so when we're talking about the decree of God, and and there is one decree, though even sometimes theologically we'll talk about decrees. Um, there is one decree uh, from the Reformed Baptist perspective, and really the Reformed perspective, and the Baptist Catechism puts this really well. Now, of course, they ripped it off from the Westminster, so you mm-hmm. also find this in the Westminster Shorter. And there's only a couple of things that I've memorized from the catechism. Like, I don't have them all memorized, but this is one of them. Yeah. Uh, the Baptist Catechism says that the, that, that the decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So, uh, what is the decree of God? It is the purpose of God, according to the counsel of his will. So, the reason he is doing this is wrapped up in his own mysterious uh 
purpose is, right? His own mysterious, we have no idea what ultimately he's doing other than this is in accordance with his desires. Mm -hmm. Big picture. His eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, nobody's going to disagree with that God does things for his own glory. Mm -hmm. But this is where the disagreement comes. For his own glory, according to the counsel of his will, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So whatsoever happens has been foreordained and is a part of the divine decree. So what this does is this speaks to the issue of how sovereign God really is. And Jimmy, how I mean, how do you tell somebody like how sovereign God is? Is he is he absolutely sovereign, partially sovereign? What is he what does he have control over? What has he planned? Well, I mean, I would say he's he's absolutely sovereign over everything. Right? I think he's I mean, well, uh, here, Burkoff. Burkoff says it like this. Uh, the decree includes whatsoever comes to pass in the world, whether it be in the physical or in the moral realm, whether it be good or evil. Uh, it includes, first, the good actions of men. Secondly, their wicked acts. Third, contingent events. Fourth, the means as well as the end. Fifth, the duration of man's life and the place of his habitation. Right. It's a great paragraph. So, so everything, everything that we're talking about, the good right. actions of men, their wicked acts, contingent events, the means as well as the ends, uh, the duration of man's life, and the place of his habitation. So even thinking like for all these church planters mm-hmm. uh, out there, for all these pastors out there, God has ordained where you are at. You are ministering where God has planned for you to minister in. That should be encouraging right. to you. It, it, it should be encouraging, instructive, reassuring. Yeah. It should give us confidence. And you know, this statement from Burkhoff, and we'll pull a lot from Burkhoff because Burkhoff really is a standard systematic theology. Yeah. And by the way, guys. Oh, here we go. When, when you, people start talking about, hey, man, which I, I just saw another one. What's, your, what's the best systeo out there? Stop saying Grudem. Grudem is not the best Sistio out there. What? And it shouldn't be your favorite either. Why not? It's you... all right. It's all right. But a good systematic theology is a little more robust. You say you're not, you're not into No Way Wayne? No Way Wayne. Come on, man. No Go, way Wayne? J- listen, if you like No Way Wayne, pick up Burkhoff and give that a try. And then let us know what you think. <laughs> all right. So all of this, this no, like this, this statement and the, the catechetical response from the Baptist Catechism um, is not just a, this uh, philosophical idea distilled into a few words, those, those statements come from Scripture, right? Where does the Bible um, ultimately teach this stuff, right? That's, that's the basic question. That's so, Joe, if you were looking at Scripture then, what, what text would you kind of be pointing to that, uh, I guess, uh, uh, shows about the yeah. sovereignty of God? So, like, for example, we could talk about... Um, uh, the decree of God broadly, okay. and we could talk about specific things. Um, but for example, in Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. And I will accomplish all my purpose. Mm. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. This speaks to the, to the issue of the decree of God. Yeah. Right? That it is all inclusive, that it is um, one sovereign decree, one sovereign purpose. And that's really the word that's being used here quite a bit, right? Purpose. That 
that God is has put into play. So it, it's I think that's a pretty clear statement on on the decree of God that seems and there's more than that. There's a lot more, but that, that's a, that's a pretty good one. It well, seems yeah. to me to to, to, sh- to say the purpose of God is one of sovereign decree, bringing about all things, whether it's the bird of prey or whatever, um, that we can affirm. And I think also then that uh, once it's decreed, it will come to pass, yeah. right? So even looking at Jeremiah 4.28, For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens, shall, uh, the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. Yeah. Right. And so once God has spoken, it will come to pass that I think that speaks to his absolute sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And now I could hear people asking us the question that, well, what about in the Old Testament uh, when uh, Abraham, right, Abraham and and Lot uh, and the the servant of the Lord's are there or the angel of the Lord's there and he's beseeching him, you know, not to. Well, hold on. If there's 100, if there's 50, if there's 20 or whatever, and it seems to look like. God changes his mind. He relents. Right. Uh, how does that kind of fit here when we're talking about God decrees and it shall come to pass? Right. So I, I think there are two things to keep in mind. One is, and I don't know if we did a, I don't know if, I think we did We a, did, we did. That's okay. Why we're, you're kind of doing a callback to that. All right. right now. So we'll link just to that in fits, the show notes. Yeah, just because it fits No, it's really this. important. It's a really, it's a really good question. Um, so I would say two things. One is, uh, this is uh, there. There are oftentimes examples of scripture when the the prophets of God speak of God uh, anthropomorphically. Yeah. So they ascribe to God certain attributes or certain actions that could only actually be true of human, but they use them for God so that we can have a basic understanding, some kind of understanding of what's happening here. Um, scripture is very clear when it speaks didactically. Uh, God is is not like us that he should change his mind. Mm-hmm. So scripture is very clear on that when it's when it teaches sp- explicitly. But then when it begins to uh, speak metaphorically or in the context of narrative, um, when it's painting a picture, sometimes it will say that God relented. So the, the second thing I would say about that is, you know, God repenting or relenting is the idea that when when God says, I will judge Nineveh. I want you to go and tell them I'm going to judge them. 40 days, right? I think it was 40 days. 40 days, and I'm going to bring judgment. So Jonah, not so enthusiastically, winds up there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and he, he's... <laughs> Against his will. He, yeah, I guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> so much for the will of man. So he goes there, and uh, or he's forced to go there, and, um, and he tells them, hey, judgment is coming, but they repent. And when they repent... God relents. He's said to relent. So there is always this contingency uh, when judgment is, or almost always, when judgment is announced. I'm going to judge you. Well, implied in that is, is if you repent, then you will not be judged. You know, yeah. that, that's because that's of the righteousness and holiness of God. Right. So I, I would and mercy. And then I so I would then I would want to tag on to that that anyone who believes in the omniscience of God, that he knows what is going to happen. Like, so you don't have to be a Calvinist. You just have to be orthodox to affirm that God is omniscient. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's going to happen. Even if you believe that they are going to happen uh, by these these people who have absolute uh, autonomy. Um, God knows that they are going to repent. Therefore, he knows that he is going to relent. So he's not really changing his mind. He is an eternal being. So I, I guess I would say that um, big picture, when it says that God is uh, relenting or repenting, it is either using anthropomorphic language to describe God so that we can kind of understand him, yeah. um, 
or it is uh, an, an understood implied contingency that if you repent, God will spare you and not have judgment. That's that's the the big picture here. Okay. So then, what other texts kind of point to the sovereignty of God? Okay. So God? Let, let's think about it this way, like because I, I keep hearing people say things like, "Well, you can't just okay." So God has foreordained some things, but not all things, you know. And they, so, just because He's ordained some things, you 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 can't draw the conclusion that He has foreordained all things. And I would say. Everything that we see in Scripture teaches explicitly or implicitly that God ordains them. So when it deals with, for example, um, whether we live or die, whether we are poor or rich or sick or healthy, uh, God is in control of those things. For example, um, in 2 Samuel 2, right? This is Hannah's song, verses 6 and 7. She rightly says, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich, he brings low, and he exalts. So, and again, just one passage, there are others, but one passage that seems pretty clear, that God is in sovereign control over, that he has a purpose and a plan regarding living and dying, wealth and poverty. Now, again, before we start going like, well, how do I feel about that? Or how does, let's just affirm what scripture says. That's yeah. something that I would want to say. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think of like, even uh, the decree of God and the plan of God and the sovereignty of God uh, for our salvation, right? Oh, of course, You, you look yeah. at Acts uh, chapter 2, uh, where Peter stands up and he says, uh, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God, th- God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Right. That's great. Right there you see, right, like that there, there was a salvation plan since the garden, since the fall, uh, where God would restore his people, uh, atone, make atonement for their sins, and, and reconcile them back to himself. Right. And and you know, this is one of those passages where non-Calvinists will say, like, well, okay, yes, God did plan the crucifixion of Jesus, the murder of Jesus. That was a part of the plan. Um, and so I don't bemoan God's plan. Uh, I affirm God's plan. I tell everybody about this death. Okay, but was it still an evil act? That's the mm. question. Did, did these men commit... Um, lawless deeds. Well, the scripture tells us that they did. They're being condemned for what they did in the midst of the proclamation of good news. So you you, you can't just say like, well, no, no, this is something that God planned. And because I understand his purpose, because I can see the purpose, this one I can affirm, but I can't see his purpose in um, allowing uh, evil things to happen in other circumstances. So I'm just not going to I, I can't agree that he's sovereign there. I can't understand the purpose. So, so we're I'm just okay with it, it when it comes to the son of Son of God, yeah. But when it happens to us, right? Is that what you're talking about? So the the most innocent, the most righteous, the most undeserving of evil suffers the the worst indignation and crimes. And we can say, yes, God has a plan for that mm-hmm. because He has revealed to us what that plan is. This is not one of the secret things that belongs to the Lord. This is one of those things that He has revealed to us so that we can understand. And, and so, yes. Uh, Bad men did a bad thing. Yeah. They killed Jesus. But yet this was a part of God's predetermined plan, and so we can affirm God's purpose, mm-hmm. and it helps that we know what this purpose was while 
we would condemn. Like, listen, you rejected Jesus. That was a bad thing. You killed Jesus. That was a bad thing. Well, and and everything was kind of, like you said, predestined. Everything was kind of put in place for this right. to happen. I mean, look at Acts 4, 27 and 28. Yeah, Peter likes this note. This is his song. This is <laughs> for truly in this city where the uh, for sorry, let me start that. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Wow, that's pretty clear. So wait a minute. Does it? Did he actually just say that that those got, that Herod Pontius Pilate that all these people did, did he just say that they did what God predestined them? <laughs> did they, like, whatever you're to do, whatever your hand and your plan, hand and plan, he's Baptist, your hand and your plan, <laughs> pre, I, I don't know. I, it, so, okay, so let, let, let's take a step back again. We've got God saying in Isaiah that he has a purpose that encompasses all things and no one can stop it. This would be his sovereign will, his will of decree, yeah. some people talk about. Um, and then we've got uh, Jeremiah uh, 4 that you read, right? That, um, that God has, has, has spoken, he has purposed, uh, he, will, he will do what he said he will do. Um, we saw in Second Samuel that God determines life and death, uh, poverty and riches. And then you've just shown in Acts that, uh, that God is sovereign over even the wicked actions of men who crucified Jesus. Yeah. So as we begin to look at this, it looks to me as, as if God is indeed sovereign over all things. There are a couple of verses that seem to say he is sovereign over everything. Yeah. But when it gets specific, it indicates that God is sovereign over that. For example, in Acts chapter 17, this is one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite passages, because it addresses a lot of issues that are important to me and it answers a lot of questions that I have. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching to pagans. Right, He's preaching to people that have multiple gods, and he uses the opportunity uh, to talk to them about the one true God, the triune God, uh, because they have uh, a temple or an altar to an unknown God. Yeah, right? yeah. So they're, he's like, okay, that's the God you don't know. Everyone's that's a favorite evangelism uh, right. Uh, text. Yeah. Look, yeah. this is how you do it. Use what the culture has around you. Right. So it's, it's great. It's great. You can do that. When you make the connection, uh, you can you can drive it home with the truth. So, Acts 17, verses 24 through 27. Here's how Paul attempts to not only evangelize uh, and, and seek their salvation, but ultimately explain God to them. He drops theology on them, and he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. So he's confronting their system, right? Yeah. This is, you're doing it wrong. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So so God created, created Adam, and from Adam and Eve, we have all nations, all mankinds, all mankind. And then he says this, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God determined the periods and yeah. the boundaries, when they live, where they live, right? Why do you live where you live? Well, you could, you could say like, well, uh, just chance. I didn't have anything to do with it. Or you could say, well, my parents made a decision to live here. Or uh, I grew up here because my parents grew up here because their parents grew up here and on and on and on. Like I happened to be in America because a long time ago, uh, some of my uh, forefathers came to this country. And uh, that's why I am here. But ultimately, 
it says that God is the one who has determined when and where we live. I just want to affirm that. I want to affirm that God is sovereign over when and where we live. And that should be encouraging for everybody. And you guys should really be rejoicing in this truth because God has decreed that the Jofo would get together. That's right, he did. The Jofo would get together, that we would be living Sometimes in late. St. Charles. Sometimes he's decreed that we'd get together late. Oh. <laughs> and, and he uses the means of Jimmy. <laughs> that was good. I just want you to know that, that was good. I knew you'd like that one. Yeah, I, I do like that one. But yeah, just everything that Joe's saying, I mean, that that is really affirming and assuring in the midst of whatever you're going through. Uh, from time to time, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. And again, it raises questions, though, right? Because uh, it's easy. It's easier for us to affirm it because we live in St. Charles. Yeah, you know, you know what? we got right nice now. houses. We got kids. Uh, we got a wife. Um, we got know, beds. We're smoking cigars. Uh, you know, we have beards. Beards. You know, we have we have a lot of good. Pat took us out for lunch today. Mm. Thanks, Thank you, Pat. Pat. <laughs> Minus fifty cents for so, taco. Yeah, <laughs> turkey that, tacos. Yeah, they won't understand what we're talking. So. Um, but then other people are in a situation where they're like, wow, man, I live in a place that I didn't choose, and it's hard, and it's painful, and it's yeah. difficult. And what you're saying is, is God has was the one who determined that I would live here now. Or with this family. Yeah, right. right? Some people grow up in, in difficult and we're situations. We're not pretending that that's not a hard issue. We're not pretending that that, but we have to first start with what Scripture says. And I think it's pretty clear. So Scripture gives us very specific uh, statements about where God is sovereign, and it, yeah. and it gives specific examples. But then sometimes it gives us this like this statement that God is sovereign over all things. Correct. But then even going specific, you know, we talked about uh, uh, that God is sovereign to the uh, in uh, the atoning work of salvation, right? But then even calling people to Himself, right? Ephesians one uh, eleven says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Right. I mean, that God has God has called you to himself. God has predestined that you would be his own. And I, I know a lot of people say, well, what, why, you know, why not them? Why not them? Why not them? Why is God not calling uh, my neighbor? Why is God not calling my family member? And I know this becomes kind of an, an emotional discussion and I, I get that I understand it I have family and friends uh, who who are not walking with the Lord and my heart breaks for them my brother who Your just brother. passed away yeah exactly as far as I know didn't didn't know trust believe in or love Jesus exactly and so I mean our heart you know so I understand that I don't want to diminish that I don't want to sound cold and calloused uh, when we're having that discussion but I think the real question should always be well why me? You know, knowing how sinful we are, knowing our depravity, knowing that we are undeserved of the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of God. Right. It is still uh, extended before the foundations of the world. Yeah. I mean, it's just pure grace, undeserved grace that God would save anyone. I like that verse, Jimmy, because not only does it highlight God's sovereignty in our salvation, but it also hits that idea that he is sovereign over everything because the last thing it says is what? Well, um, Mm. he works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does he work according to the counsel of his will? All things. Yeah. There is nothing. Not some, well, no, some things, Joe. He's going to work <laughs> just, some things. Just some things. I had, I oh, had no, a, he's going to work some things, and he'll learn about other things as they come to pass. And he'll adjust ap- appropriately. Appropriately, yes, just to make sure. I had a professor in Bible college one time, uh, and he was actually a godly man. I love this dude. He was awesome. We disagreed on this, and um, and I finally asked him in class, so 
because he was saying God was sovereign and he had, he purposed this one thing. And I said, so how sovereign is God? How much is he predestined? And he said, I believe God is predestined 40% of the things that happen. And he was smiling when he said it. So I knew he wasn't actually giving me a percentage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but but he was still making a point that, you know, not everything, maybe not half of the things, but a lot of things he has predestined. And I don't know how some things could be predestined if not all things are predestined, because how can you ensure that that is going to happen if you haven't ensured that the things that lead up to that are going to happen? And aside from the philosophical, you know, thinking, the line of thought, the, the reason that I'm attempting, scriptures just simply says what it says, that yeah. God is absolutely sovereign. So then what about man's responsibility then? I can but hear some people problem. saying, hey, 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 you know, what about man's responsibility? Yeah, well, if God determines whether we are rich or poor, then I don't really have to do anything because he's going to make me rich he's or poor. He's going to make it happen, yeah. Right? He's so, going to make it rain. <laughs> and, so the, this, and this gets back to the idea of God decreeing means, right? Uh, not just the end, the means to the yeah, end. Yeah, like Burkhoff mentioned earlier. Right. So um, big picture, God is absolutely sovereign over all things that happen. He has a purpose that we do not always understand other than it's going to somehow result in his glory. And yet, Scripture is also very clear that we are free agents and we do what we want to do without being coerced. So before non-Calvinists start flaming us for being inconsistent, let me just say um, we are trying to be consistent in the affirmation of what Scripture says. God is indeed absolutely sovereign and we are responsible. Burkhoff says it this way, Man is a free agent with the power of rational self-determination. He can reflect upon and in an intelligent way choose certain ends and can also determine his action with respect to them. The decree of God, however, carries with it necessity. God is decreed to effectuate all things or if he has not decreed that, he has at least determined that they must come to pass. He has decided the course of man's life for him. In answer to this objection, it may be said that the Bible certainly does not proceed on the assumption that the divine decree is inconsistent with the free agency of man. It clearly reveals that God has decreed the free acts of man, but also that the actors are nonetheless free and therefore responsible for their acts. And, you know, there are a number of, uh, we've already looked at some, but Genesis 50, right, 19. um, I don't know how we can... um, Look at this passage without affirming this very truth. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was, uh, he was abused, he was sold into slavery, and his brothers' intentions for Joseph and in their actions was evil. That was their, you intended this for evil, yeah. but God intended this very thing for good, for his glory. So when when Joseph says that, he he's not saying, hey, listen, you tried to do something bad and God was able to turn it around. Mm-hmm. He didn't turn your frown upside you. down. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. That, that's, really the theolo- that's their theology, not my <laughs> theology. You know, God's not finding the silver lining. God's not making lemonade out of lemons. God had a purpose and they had a purpose. Now, it was one event that took place. They had different purposes. Mm-hmm. I'm getting phone calls here. They had different yep. purposes. And God's sovereign purpose is the one that's going to ultimately lead to his glory. Um, and you see this in Habakkuk, right? So read Habakkuk. Read chapters 1 and 2 in particular. I'm not go- I'll summarize it. All right, go. Um, in Habakkuk, um, the righteous are suffering. Well, not even. <laughs> Israel is suffering. Uh, Israel has gotten itself into a, into a bad way. Okay. Uh, specifically, I believe it's the southern kingdom. So there's 
Judah, and um, they are they're they're about to be destroyed by uh, the Chaldeans, and uh, Habakkuk's like, God, what are you? I don't understand what's happening. Why is what are, what's going on? And God says, You're not going to like it if I tell you. Mm-hmm. He says, You're not. You're going to have a problem if I tell you what I'm going to do. And he's like, No, no, tell me. And he says, Okay, I'll tell you. Um, I'm going to raise up this ungodly, wicked nation to come in and to sack and take into exile my people. And Habakkuk doesn't like that. <laughs> doesn't like that. But God explains, like, no, listen, I'm I'm going to do this. So I am going to raise up this wicked nation. They're going to come in, and they're going to be my instrument of discipline on the nation. And then I'm going to punish them for doing a wicked thing. I'm going to, wait, so you're going to hold the Chaldeans responsible for what you decreed for them to do? Yes. Don't take it up with us, non-Calvinists. Take it up with with, with, with Habakkuk, take it up with Scripture. I, I don't feel take it up com- with God. Yeah, I don't feel compelled to explain away what God has said He's doing, or will do, or has done, or what His purposes are. I just want to affirm them both. And to be honest, and maybe this isn't fair, but this is how I feel. I feel like the Reformed tradition, in its best forms, are the only ones that are consistently saying everything Scripture says. Yeah, they we just want to say we want to affirm it all. Are, are can we do good? No. We cannot do good apart from God's regenerating, life-giving work through His Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Word. But our inability to do good does not remove our responsibility because our inability is of our own doing. We are incapable of doing good or seeking God, and that is our own fault because we have sinned. We sinned in the garden with Adam. We're we're guilty for that. We've inherited a sinful nature for that, and and we continue to sin. That is all that we can do. It's our own fault, so our inability does not remove our responsibility, and God's sovereignty doesn't remove responsibility. Um, We affirm both. Scripture affirms both. Yeah. We can't reconcile them perfectly in our minds, and I'm okay with that. Listen, I, this is why I love the Reformed tradition, because we're, we're, we are, we listen, we don't like to say mystery, mystery, mystery when the Scripture explains things. Yeah. But there is mystery, and this exactly. is one of those areas. I'm totally happy. There's things that we're just not going to understand. Right. So, okay, so God is sovereign over all things. We're responsible for all things, but if God is sovereign over our actions and even our sinful actions, uh, a lot of people would say, this makes God the author of sin. Well, they'll even say, Calvinists believe that God is the author of sin, or they'll at least say, it implies that God is the author of sin. So, Jimmy, do, do, do Calvinists believe that God is the author of sin? Well, no, because as we look at Scripture, uh, Psalm ninety-two fifteen says, yeah. the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Pretty clear. How could a righteous God be unrighteous? You can't. It doesn't make sense. The holiness of God, the justice of God would just, it, it just does not work. People can say like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, fine. So maybe it doesn't make sense to you. Maybe it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, listen, uh, just because we can't comprehend all that God is saying and revealing doesn't mean it isn't true. And so people can, you you can, again, you can talk back to God if you want, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, James chapter one says something very similar. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He is not responsible for our sinful actions. We are responsible for our sinful actions. And yet, God is sovereign over it. He has decreed it. There is mystery in how those two play together. Uh, 1 John 1, uh, 1, 5, 
Uh, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right. To Same make thing. that claim that God is the author of sin is at best misguided and misunderstood. <laughs> yeah. At, at worst, I mean— Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's false doctrine. Yeah. Now, again, I don't know any Christian that wants to say that, um, but it, it's— but then, but then here's the thing. Even calling people and saying right. you are—that is what you are essentially saying is that's a, that's a pretty heretical charge yeah. that you are leveling against other brothers and sisters in Christ. Am I, am I wrong on that? I feel like it's a bit bigger than— than than just saying, oh, you know, I, I got you. Yeah, Catch twenty two. I got you. Yeah, it, it, you are um, uh, you are for sure uh, misrepresenting. You're breaking the ninth commandment. You're bringing false witness against someone by yeah. saying that you believe this when they don't believe it. Or um, people are at least drawing a a false conclusion, saying like, well, listen, if you believe God is sovereign over the actions of sinful men, then. Uh, then he's he's at fault for it. He's to blame for it. He, I mean, yeah. he is the. But I mean, he is the ultimate cause of all things. I don't know how you can get around that, even philosophically. But Scripture does paint a pretty clear picture. So again, l- l- let's just go back to that question: How can you Calvinists bemoan or complain or cry out in anguish over evil deeds, such as the the shooting that just happened in Vegas? Yeah. How can you guys complain or cry out about that? If you believe God is sovereign, isn't that inconsistent? It isn't inconsistent. I don't know what the purposes of God are for sovereignly decreeing that that would happen, whether that's a permissive decree or an active decree or whatever. There's different ways that Calvinists try to understand that, but it boils down to the same thing, that everything happens according to the plan of God. Now, um, what I would say is I don't have fault with God's plan. I don't know what that plan is. Mm-hmm. I don't know the per- the ultimate purpose of it besides saying it's the glory of God. What I do is I find fault with people for the things that they for the things that people do that are w- wicked just as God finds them at fault for what they do, just as the authors of scripture find fault uh, for what wicked men do, whether it be uh, the Chaldeans or whether it be those who crucified Jesus. I mean, uh Burkoff again says this. It is customary to speak of the decree of God respecting moral evil as permissive. Right. By his decree, God rendered the sinful actions of man infallibly certain without deciding to effectuate them by acting immediately upon and in the finite will. This means that God does not positively work in man, quote, both to will and to do, end quote, when man goes contrary to his revealed will. Mm-hmm. It should be carefully noted, however, that this permissive decree does not imply a passive permission of something which is not under the control of the divine will. It is, it is a decree which renders the future sinful act absolutely certain, but in which God determines, one, not to hinder the sinful self-determination of the finite will, and two, to regulate and control the result of this sinful self-determination. Right. So, I mean, listen, there are answers to these charges. Um, when Calvinists talk about the sovereignty of God or the decree of God, um, there, there, there are answers. And to pretend that Calvinists haven't wrestled with this, to pretend that the Reformed tradition hasn't answered uh, this issue as best as we can from the Scripture yeah. isn't being honest. So you do like oh you, you know you why I mean you can you can say that you believe it's inconsistent of course you can say that and it, you may believe it's inconsistent um, but what we're trying to do 
is articulate as clearly as possible what the Scripture actually says. And and again, and I know that some non-Calvinists don't like this, but you wind up, if you believe in an omniscient God, you wind up in the same problem. For example, let's say that um, men only do what they want to do, and uh, which Calvinists would affirm, but that what they choose to do is in no way planned by God. Right, so that would be a non-Calvinist perspective. So let's just say uh, the non-Calvinists would certainly believe in the omniscience of God, that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what people are going to do before they do it. And he can't be wrong, right? Correct. Okay, so God is eternal. Uh, so before time began, he knew what was going to happen, before he created this thing that we call time. So, um, okay, so let's just say, we'll use salvation as an example. Uh, Jimmy, what year did you get saved? Uh, 97, 98. Okay, and then, uh, and how old were you then? Uh, 16. All right, and when did you graduate college? I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 97, you said, right? 97. 96, 90, yeah, okay. 97, 97. Let's just say 97. So let's just say 97, at a particular point in time, Jimmy believed in Jesus of his own free will and was subsequently born again in the non-Calvinist perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, did God know that Jimmy was going to do that before he created anything? Well, yeah. He had to, right? He's omniscient. All right. So, God knows for sure that Jimmy is going to do that very thing. He's going to believe in 1997 on a particular day. So, 1995, 1996. Think of all the things that God has to ensure to make sure that Jimmy is alive and well hmm. at that time. Let's leave that aside. We finally come to 1997, that very day, that very moment that you freely believed in God without any uh, planning on God's part. So here comes that time. God saw that you were going to do it. He can't be wrong. It's that very second that he knew you would believe. Is it possible for you in that moment to not believe? Uh, If I had free will? Is that like... Yeah, is it possible... For the can a non-Calvinist say like okay, well at that moment can you not believe? I, I would say that that's the only implied interpretation of that. But how how could they say? So for all of our non-Calvinist friends, how, it's inconsistent. How exactly right to say like well oh no, um, God knew that you were going to believe at that very time right, and he can't be wrong. Before he created time, he knew that you were going to do this. So now he's created time. Here you are. There's the moment you're going to believe. You can't do otherwise. He already saw that it's going to happen. So I think even just as we're thinking about it, logically, there are problems. Um, uh, Burkhoff says this. Well, I'll, I'll read one last thing for Burkhoff. Right. The decree respecting sin is not an efficient but a permissive decree or a decree to permit in distinction from a decree to produce sin by divine efficiency. No difficulty attaches to such a decree which does not also attach to a mere passive permission of what he could very well prevent such as the Arminians, who generally raise this objection, assume. The problem of God's relation to sin remains a mystery for us, which we are not able to solve. It may be said, however, that his degree to permit sin, while it renders the entrance of sin into the world certain, does not mean that he takes delight in it, but only that he deemed it wise, for the purpose of his self-revelation, to permit moral evil, however abhorrent it may be to his nature. So a couple of things here. One, even if you believe that God could have done otherwise, but you, he allowed it to do it, you're still stuck. 
you're, you're st- we're still in a situation where like, well, we really don't have a great answer for why sin is yeah. evil. In fact, the, the greatest theologians, when they talk about theodicy, they'll all say, we don't have great answers for theodicy. But here's what we can say. Here's, 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 here's our best attempt to make sense of it. Uh, and, and I agree with Burkhoff here. God is sovereign over the entrance of sin and the actions of sin in the world. He doesn't delight in it, but for some sovereign purpose, according to the mystery of his will, he deemed it wise for the purpose of a self-revelation to permit this evil. Um, now you say, well, is he permitting it or is he decreeing it? Well, the decree right, is made up of you know, permission. It is, it is, it is, yes, he has decreed that it will happen, though he is forcing no one to do it. He is allowing them to to do it. And so there, the more complicated it gets, the more patient we have to be with one another and trying to make sense. We're trying to, we're trying to make sense of things. So here's the thing. I don't think it's all that important that I have to hunt down non-Calvinists and show how they're inconsistent. I think their system shows that they're inconsistent. I'll just go ahead and let it fall on its own. Yeah. Um, but there are people that are just super charged up and trying, trying very hard, and I don't think they're doing very well. They certainly don't do well in debates with Calvinists. They, 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 they tend to not do very well in making these points because they frequently are trying to show that not only do they think that Calvinists are wrong, but they're, they're trying to show that the Calvinist system doesn't work because it doesn't make sense to them. Um, the, the best bet is to say, listen, we don't, I don't think the Calvinistic system works because it isn't biblical. That's an argument we can have. That's not based on our own perception or yeah. what makes sense to us, our, our own proclivity. Right. Like, so yeah. let's just say what, what Scripture says. That's kind of where I want to land on this. So when we're talking about the decree of God, how sovereign God is, what has he planned? I'm going to say he planned all things. And it, I, I don't know how that all works out in terms of man's freedom. I think we're free to do what we want to do. I think Scripture gives us that clarity. Um, but I also equally believe that God has decreed it all. We're responsible for what we do, and yet God has decreed it all. And I'm, I'm okay with that. We want to hear your thoughts. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Doctor and Devotion. You can head on to the website, DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us, sign up for the email blast, or hit up the store. Grab yourself the Reformation 500T and sign up for the 2018 Doctrine and Devotion Conference on the Spirit and the Church. Fresh Pod every Monday and Thursday. Blog posts on Wednesdays. Video content on Fridays. Later. We'll see you guys on Monday or on Thursday because it's been predestined. (laughs) 